Hello, this is Richard Walker, and welcome to the fourth podcast on the life and times of Annie Chapman. It's perhaps worth noting that all five victims lived within about 150 yards of each other. They were all less than five minutes' walk from Spitalfields Market. Annie Chapman lived on Dorset Street. Polly Nichols had been spending time at Wilmot's Lodging House on Thrall Street. Liz Stride and Kate Eddowes both lived in Doss Houses on Flower and Dean Street. And the fifth victim, Mary Kelly, lived just off Dorset Street in Miller's Court. In 2008, the Metropolitan Police at Scotland Yard did a geographical profile of Jack the Ripper and they decided that he lived very close to where all his victims lived and within a 20-minute walk of each of the murder sites. They guessed he probably lived on Flower and Dean Street. Now, of course, at the time of the murders, the police didn't know anything about geographical or any other kind of profiling. So, yeah, they were at a disadvantage. They were also at a disadvantage in that they had a total trust of eyewitness evidence. Even today, for many people, eyewitness evidence is very compelling. You've got somebody who was actually there and saw something. It's very appealing. However, we now know from forensic science, and particularly since the use of DNA testing, that eyewitness evidence may be compelling, but it is also very unreliable. The second time I did my Jack the Ripper Whitechapel walk, just two people had booked for that night, and as we set off, the guy said to me, I'm really excited about doing this tour. I asked him if he had a particular reason, and he said, well, for 25 years, I worked homicide in the Bay Area. I said, wow, you're a homicide detective. That's fantastic. Hey, listen, anything that you think I get wrong, please let me know. Well, we got to Brick Lane, and I was explaining how eyewitness evidence was now not considered as trustworthy as it once had been. And he said, Richard, let me tell you, you could get four eyewitnesses describing the same scene, and you will get four different eyewitness accounts. When we think about the investigation into the murder of Annie Chapman, it's worth keeping in mind the changed attitude toward eyewitness evidence. On September the 8th, 1888, eight days after Polly Nichols was found murdered in Bucks Row and during the inquest into her death and just the day after her funeral, the second of Jack the Ripper's victims was discovered at six in the morning in the little yard behind number 29 Hanbury Street. She was laid out on the ground, with her head near the steps that led from the house into the yard. In their book, Jack the Ripper, Scotland Yard Investigates, Donald Rumbelow and Stuart Evans say that it was just 20 minutes later, at 6.20, that Dr George Baxter Phillips, the police surgeon, examined her. He said, like Polly Nichols, as she had been killed when she was lying on the ground, and death occurred when the left carotid artery was severed. But this time, the killer had left her with her clothes pulled up, her stomach ripped open, her intestines pulled out and thrown over her shoulder. And when he did the full post-mortem examination, the police surgeon discovered that her uterus, her womb, had been cut out and taken away. He said he thought it indicated some anatomical knowledge. He also said she was sober at the time of the murder, and she was in very poor health. She was malnourished and in an advanced stage of tuberculosis. There was no sign of a struggle, and he was positive she entered the yard alive. This Dr. Phillips, a police surgeon with more than 20 years' experience, estimated that she'd been dead for at least two hours, and having said at least two hours, he added probably more. So, once again, the killer had committed his crime under cover of darkness 
and before most people were out of bed. Jack had struck sometime before 4.20. However, evidence was then given that changed this. John Richardson, the 35-year-old son of Amelia Richardson, a woman who lived at number 29, said he went to the yard on his way to work as a porter at Spitalfields Market. He said he didn't go into the yard. He just looked in to check the padlock on the cellar door. He said the yard was empty at quarter to five. Then a Mrs. Elizabeth Long claimed that she had seen the victim talking to a man in Hanbury Street at 5.30, just half an hour before her dead body was discovered. Mrs. Long's eyewitness evidence was enough to convince the coroner that Dr. Phillips was wrong in his estimate of time of death. And many experts today are also convinced. In Jack the Ripper, Scotland Yard investigates, Donald Rumbelow and Stuart Evans go to great lengths to support the eyewitness evidence and show why Dr. Phillips got it wrong. They explain that doctors often disagreed when calculating time of death. After the Kelly case on November the 9th, estimates made by Dr. Thomas Bond and Dr. George Bagster Phillips, both police surgeons, were three to four hours apart, which does nothing to instill confidence in their accuracy. Now, it must be said that the mutilation of Mary Kelly was far greater than that performed on Annie Chapman. Apart from a thin slip, Mary was naked. The flesh from her legs and abdomen had been removed. Her breasts had been sliced off, and every internal organ had been cut out and placed outside her body. How any estimate of time of death could have been calculated in those circumstances is difficult to understand. But when you add to that the fact that these police surgeons, because of a breakdown in communications, were unable to have access to Mary Kelly's body until 1.30 in the afternoon and didn't begin the autopsy until 2 p.m., around 10 hours after the presumed time of death, estimating the time of death would be impossible. And in fact, both Dr. Bond and Dr. Phillips agreed that it was impossible to give any estimate of time of death with any degree of accuracy. They both gave an estimate of anything between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. as the time that death occurred. In the case of Annie Chapman, if the witness evidence is to be believed, then Annie had been dead for, at the most, 45 minutes. Dr. Phillips was an experienced police surgeon. It would seem likely that he would know the difference between a body that has been dead for less than 45 minutes and one that has been dead for, in his words, at least two hours, and probably more. Of course, Mrs. Elizabeth Long's evidence is very appealing, especially as there is so little that is solid to hold on to in the mystery of Jack the Ripper. Anything that offers a glimpse of our hero is not to be lightly dismissed. As shown in the ultimate Jack the Ripper source book, Stuart Evans and Keith Skinner say in their comments, introducing the original source material about Annie Chapman's murder, the true facts in this regard are shown in the following reports. The first probable sighting of the killer by the witness Mrs. Long also occurred in this case. The first probable sighting of the killer. Now, who would not want that to be true? Well, that's probably enough to digest for the moment, but we will certainly have to revisit this in the fifth and final podcast on Annie Chapman.
Thank you very much for listening. This is Richard Walker, and uh, I do hope that I'll get to meet you on one of my Jack the Ripper Whitechapel tours. Until then, thank you for listening again, and uh, bye-bye. <laughs>